Welcome to Group Talk. Four shows, one podcast from the Small Group Network focusing on topics relevant to small group ministries. Whether you're in a church of 100 or 10,000, whether you're a volunteer or staff, we want to support, encourage, and equip you to lead well. So relax, listen, and enjoy Here to There with Carolyn Picata. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us for Here to There, where we explore movement from our present reality to the preferred future that God has for us. So when you think of the word multi-ethnic, what do you usually picture? I'm guessing you probably do not picture a church because multi-ethnic churches are still fairly rare in the United States, unfortunately. Ethnically segregated churches are still the norm, and most of us have not experienced worshiping in a church where people of different colors, ethnicities, socioeconomics, and different traditions and languages come together to be part of one church. So in response to recent racial tensions and this whole idea of multi-ethnic or multicultural church has become a kind of a popular buzzword, um, but it is so much more than just a box for churches to check off just to be more acceptable in our present culture. I agree with our guest um, today who is, says it is a gospel issue, and I couldn't agree more um, that building a multi-ethnic Church is so close to the heart of God. And so my guest today, I'm so excited to be talking with Dr. Derwin Gray, and he calls churches out to flourish. Um, and he wants them to grow out of ignorance, classism, racism, and greed. Uh, we can't wait to unpack those into the flourishing, vibrant, and graceful communities of believers that God intended. And so first of all, um, Dr. Gray or Derwin, he's given me permission to call him by his first name. Uh, thank you so much for joining us this Oh, Pastor, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor and privilege. And this is kind of like the first time that we've met. Mm -hmm. But just by the way that uh, you talk and phrase things, I can tell that you are incredibly brilliant, theologically <laughs> driven and compassionate. So I'm excited about this. So, oh my gosh. I've never had such words attached after one minute of, um, of an intro. So that tells me, Dr. Gray, that you are a very um, affirming soul. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for that. So let me tell you a little bit about Derwin. He is a former NFL player, is the founding and lead pastor of Transformation Church. Transformation Church is a multi-ethnic, multi-generation, mission-shaped community in Charlotte, North Carolina. And Derwin and his wife, Vicki, have been married for 28 years and have two adult children. He picked up, I don't know how, you picked up you know multiple degrees along the way in that journey. And he's the author of Building a Multi-Ethnic Church, A Gospel Vision of Love, Grace, and Reconciliation in a divided world. And he also hosts a podcast called Marinade on that. Um, I'm also really excited to have with him and um, Cristal. Oh my gosh, I, I wrote your name out phonetically and I'm going to miss Acevedo. Acevedo, mm -hmm. um, who serves full time at Transformation Church as the content creator, which I have to say is a very cool title, and um, where she writes Transformation formative discipleship resources and is passionate about helping people get connected to God and to each other through small groups and other activities of the church. Thank you so much for being on the program as well. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. Yeah, well, we're going to have this conversation. I said, I need the small groups person. I, I can read the book to hear what Dr. Gray has to say, but I need to talk to the practitioner. So um, you feel free to jump in, both of you, as the co um, conversation unfolds. So let's start with some really basic definitions. What does it mean to be a multi-ethnic church or a multi-ethnic group? Yeah, that that is that is a wonderful question. So so let me start theologically, and then I'll move to the sociological consequences of what that means. So theologically, we know that there is only one race, the human race. 
within the human race are different ethnic groups and ethnicity is based on culture, language, geography as such. Um, and so the first thing is God doesn't want us to be colorblind. He wants us mm-hmm. to be color blessed. That every culture, um, every ethnic group is made in the image of God, and therefore we are fellow image bearers. Thus, loving each other as such is vital. Secondly, from a sociological perspective, Dr. Michael Emerson at the University of mm-hmm. Illinois uh, coined this this term or this language that a church is considered a multi-ethnic church, if not one ethnic group, is more than 80% of the congregation. So um, why is that important? Because at 20%, that's a tipping point that the minorities in the congregation can have a little bit of influence. Now, let me take another step back. The goal is not to have different ethnic people just meeting together just to meet because you can get that at uh, Disney world in, uh, in so in SoCal, you can get, get that in uh, a New York subway car. Mm-hmm. God's goal is bigger than just different yeah. people huddling together. In Genesis 12, God tells Abraham, all right, through you, I'm going to make this big, beautiful nation, and it's going to be made up of all the people of the world. Through the nation of Israel, Jesus, the Messiah, the seed of Abraham comes, and through a sinless life, atoning death on the cross, his resurrection, all those who trust in him, whether if you're Asian, Latino, Black, White, indigenous, whatever you are, once you say yes to Jesus, not only does God forgive your sins, but he puts you in a family with brothers and sisters of different colored skins. And this family is not to coexist, but to co-participate in the life of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so it's more than just different people together. It's the different people finding unity and love through Jesus. You know, that 80%, 80-20, and I know that is a standard definition out there. I just feel like it's so low. I mean, we're it talking is. 20% of all non-white participants of a church. Like that that seems that seems small. And yet I've I've been in many conversations with my uh, white brothers and sisters in the church where they say, well, we'd like to have more. Kind of like what you're saying about the subway car, right? We'd like to have more representation. Mm-hmm. But then the conversation kind of stops at representation and doesn't go to the heart of what your book is all about, which is a full participation, fully reflecting the image of God. Like do you, is, have you noticed in your I know you've been around uh, speaking at conferences and doing other things related to this topic, that idea of representation versus actual full participation, like that seems to be a sticking point. It is. It is. It is. And so, Christelle, I'll make some points and I would love to hear your, your, your thoughts. But one of, one of the things um, in my book that I point out in chapter one is for majority culture or white churches, um, the idea of a multi-ethnic church means minorities come to the white church yes, and then they assimilate to the white culture. The idea of white Christians going to minority led churches is basically unheard of within the multi-ethnic church movement. 
58% of mega churches, over 2,000 or more, are considered multi ethnic, but 90% of those pastors are white. Now, does that mean that inherently white is wrong? No, of course not. Right. Not, at, not, at, not at all. But what it does mean is this is we need ethnic diversity and leadership because there are different cultural understandings and perspectives. We see this in Acts chapter six and Acts chapter 13. So therefore, the idea of, well, 80-20, I do think the bar is low and we have to move away from assimilation Mm. to actually accommodation and full participation um, where each culture is valued for what they bring to the table, that there is no cultural supremacy, only Christ right. supremacy. <laughs> Christelle, what do you what do you think about that? Oh, yes. Yeah. So I'm from Miami. And <laughs> as you are probably aware, Miami is a city where it's full of immigrants and diversity. And I remember years ago, because we've, we've lived here now in South Carolina for three years, but when we were still in Miami years ago, I, I had this thought of, how most of the major churches in Miami were led by white pastors. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was so strange in a city that's full of, you know, all this diversity that all these churches were being led by white pastors. And again, not that there's anything inherently wrong with that, but it just, there's just an imbalance there that I didn't understand. And for most of my Christian life, I became a, a Christian around 16, 17 years old. I had only ever had white pastors And I remember talking to my husband when we were thinking about moving away from Miami, how I was ready to be pastored by someone who was not white, just as a Latina. Like I just wanted a different experience. And, um, and I wanted to have different voices speaking into what the Bible has to say and, and Jesus heart and God's heart, um, for all people. And so, yeah, I think have, it's not just about having representation, but it's about having people in positions of, of power, of leadership, of platform that they can, because it matters to those of us who are minorities, right, to see that and to know that it's not um, only white men who can do this job, right? That it, this God calls all people, men and women and people from different ethnicities to lead and to lead their church. And I just think it's so important to have that. Yeah, and, and and if I can piggyback on what Christelle so eloquently and beautifully said, is what I want my white brothers and sisters to hear is they actually become more of who they were created to be mm. when the other influences them. So, for example, right? Mm. Um, I I love food. I don't know if you can tell, but I'm kind of a beefy dude, right? And I, I, I like my protein and I need to eat more salads. But if in a salad bowl, all you have is lettuce, you don't have a salad, you have lettuce. Mm-hmm. And so you have to have the other ingredients in the salad bowl and then you need dressing to mix them together. Well, Jesus's church and leaderships should be this incredible salad bowl where you have all varieties of fruit and vegetables mm-hmm. and what allows the, the the taste to merge together is the dressing or God's grace. And so oftentimes within evangelical li, 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 within evangelicalism, there's like this undercurrent of well, leadership yeah. is by certain groups of people when it's like no leadership is by those who are called. 
And minorities are not asking to take over the table. We just want to sit at the table (laughs) because we know that at Abraham Banquet, there's enough food for everybody. Yeah. Oh, gosh. This is so speaking to my soul. But I have to, to say, okay. It seems so obvious, right? You read Acts, you read the whole trajectory of the Bible from the beginning, from Abraham, from what God intended, all the way through Revelations, that, you know, every tongue and tribe, right? So it seems like such a no brainer in some ways that we would be moving towards this beautiful expression of multi ethnicity within the church. Uh, And yet, we are seem like we've barely moved much, at least in the United States. And what was interesting is one section of, of your book, you actually call out uh, black churches for not uh, seeking to integrate. And then there's yep. a, a quote from um, an Asian American pastor um, and I'm Asian. So like, and I grew up in immigrant churches and he talks about, you need immigrant churches, but then you also need this integrated whole um, and so how do you meet the needs of the, these different groups like black churches, for example? I have friends in black churches that really love uh, the support and honestly what they need um, living as a person, as a black person in our country. So how do you you blend that together in a way yeah. that works for maybe let's not not keep focusing on the white church, but like for the churches of color? Yeah. Like, how do you do yeah. that? Yeah. So, okay. So, so let me start with, okay. So I I think it's really important to understand that the black church for most of her history has been incredibly faithful Mm -hmm. to the gospel, incredibly forgiving and merciful in the midst of so much racism and oppression. And 90% of historical black denominations in America exist because of racism within the white church. That's how the black church started. And what happened was, is through slavery, Jim Crow, civil rights, the black church became a beacon of hope and protection and and security from microaggressions all throughout the the week. So I understand why there still needs to be a black church. And a lot of my black pastor friends are saying, hey, we would be open to Mm multi-ethnic, but we need to understand that it's a co-mutuality. Like Mm -hmm. we need to see some systemic change. Like white people are welcome to come to our churches, but most of them don't. Right. And, And so in the next probably 15 years, that's when I'll emphasize now trying to move the the, the black church. But right now, particularly after the Donald Trump presidency, yeah. there's this like, man, are you kidding? No way. Yeah. And then the Hmong pastor that I was speaking with years ago, um, he was like, hey, listen, um, we've got to reach the first generation mm-hmm. and we're not concerned about reaching our neighbors. We, we want to preserve our culture, our ways, our languages. But the problem is the second generation kids yeah, right. were Americanized and they were leaving the faith because it, it turned into how do we preserve our culture versus right. how do we promote the gospel? Right. So in saying all those things, let's make sure we go back to this. The church does not exist for us. Mm. We exist for Jesus. Mm. Meaning this, 
Jesus calls us to participate in his life, his death, his resurrection to continue his ministry and his mission. That's why holiness or discipleship is so important. That's why there's so many love one another's in the Bible, Mm -hmm. that the care, the concern, and the love should come from all Christians. So case in point, um, and pastor, you know, as many more than Christelle and I, the hate crimes against mm-hmm. our Asian brothers and sisters, mm-hmm. I have preached on it multiple, multiple mm-hmm. times. Now, I'm not Asian, right. but we share the same blood in Christ. Mm-hmm. We're brothers and sisters. So if somebody affects you, they're affecting me. Why? Because we're family. And most of the church, we don't view ourselves right. as family. Right. We view ourselves as Republicans, Democrats. Yeah. We view ourselves as this or that. There's a reason why the Bible uses the word brother and sister to describe the church more than any other word in the Bible. Mm-hmm. We have to take ecclesiology seriously. Mm-hmm. That literally Jesus's body is where all of our sin goes to die on the cross. But in his resurrection, his body is where we all come to live. And for Christians not to love each other is not to love Jesus because we are the body of Christ. Do you remember in Acts 9 when Paul gets knocked down off his horse by Jesus and he tells Jesus, or Jesus tells Paul, why are you persecuting me? me? Right, right. Because his people was me. So we need a deeper and more beautiful uh, um, ecclesiology. And that's what small groups are really supposed to be yeah. about is these are small parts of the body getting together to learn to love each other. Because the church doesn't exist for me. The church exists for Jesus. And I'd love to speak quickly about um, immigrant immigrant churches or immigrant uh, immigrants within our churches, because, you know, I'm a daughter of immigrants. My parents came here from Nicaragua and I consider myself second generation, even though I wasn't born in this country, but I was so young when I came. That I don't how, know. how old were you when you came? Oh, I was maybe six months old. I was a baby. Oh, you're a baby, baby. Okay. I came when I was seven. So yeah. I consider myself 1.5 generation. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so I totally understand that dynamic of trying to preserve culture mm-hmm. and trying to cater to the younger generations that's coming up and is more Americanized. Sure. And I know that my parents recognize that. And they that's why when we were young, we went to church in Spanish. And then eventually mm. they knew that my sister and I were just learning more, more and more English. And so they actually started going to church in English for our sake because they recognized that going to church and us being interested in church was more important than Spanish. Mm, right, and, right. Then going to church in Spanish. And so that's not to say that my parents didn't instill a love for the Spanish language within me because I definitely have that. And I use it now within our church to create mm. Spanish language resources and to oh, our awesome. Spanish language small groups um, have a space where they can share in that language, share in that culture. And yet they're still a part of our larger body. Um, we don't want to separate them, but we do want to give a space where they can have that community. Yes. But still, like they're a part of our transformation church family at large, and we don't want to separate that. Well, and 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 
let me just add, and this is this is this is this is more personal, but I I, I think it fills into the context of a multi ethnic church. So, Christelle is incredibly brilliant, um, but in other church experiences, her brilliance and her gifting has been oppressed. Mm-hmm. And so I knew one of my assignments when she came here was to disciple her, mm-hmm. to develop her, um, so that the way God has made her and wired her, I mean, she's doing sermons in Spanish now. Wow. She's writing curriculum awesome. with a team now. Like we're literally on a podcast together now. <laughs> and so I think a part of that is being a black man, um, I understand how hard it is just to be taken seriously. Like one of the reasons why I studied so hard in school to get a doctorate is so that it wouldn't be, well, of course he can speak good. He's black. (laughs) You know, like black preachers speak good. That's what they do. But I also wanted to have the academic footing behind me to say, yeah, God has gifted me to communicate, but what Mm -hmm. I'm communicating is rich theological reflection. Mm -hmm. And our positions in life aid to that. When we silence voices of diversity, we're actually silencing our own growth. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I'm just pausing for a moment because it was just you just phrased, framed that so beautifully, and I love that you're empowering women and people of color um, in your congregation and in your leadership. I think that's such a beautiful picture. Hey, all you amazing small group point people out there, Jason Banzoff here, Group Talk producer, and I wanted to talk to you about our events. Right now, we are in the middle of Accelerate SoCal, and it's been great so far, but if you missed it, don't worry. We have some other great events coming up. August 3rd and 4th, we have Accelerate New England. September 23rd and 24th, Accelerate Ohio. October 12th, Align Atlanta. October 19th and 20th, Accelerate Virginia. And then I want to know who's coming along with me on November 16th and 17th to Accelerate Hawaii. Check these out and get registered at smallgroupnetwork.com forward slash events today. Now back to here to there. Um, You know, when all those events that were so terrible and um, just create so much tension during the pandemic and then onward, um, as you referenced, even in, in with against ancient and um, Asian Americans and others, I, the pushback comes in, in churches. And let's kind of go back to why churches, because that is the majority in the evangelical space. Mm-hmm. Um, I have, I have heard and read, uh, pastors, um, influential pastors even say why they don't respond to events, um, that are rocking our, our nation and that kind of expose the underbelly of racism and racial injustice. They don't want to talk about it from the pulpit because they think and say, say it's too divisive and we need to be about Jesus. And so let's just focus on Jesus and let's not talk about these issues that are, um, divisive and loaded and may cause some people to leave or be misinterpreted. Um, so how, how would you advise um, people that, that hold that position? Let me, let me take a deep breath. You told you me, just, you said, okay, before the podcast, I need no, to tell no, me no, honest, no, you said, no. ask anything. <laughs> I have been waiting for you to ask that question. Oh, good. And it's something that I talk about often. So oh, good. I'm going to take a deep breath because I don't want to rant. I want to be clear and concise. Listen, the person of Jesus Christ is not detached from real world. That salvation is 
blood and guts and reality in real life. That if the church does not disciple through divisive issues, the devil will. (laughs) One of the problems that we have in the church now, particularly in white evangelicalism, is these issues were not discussed. I said this about four years ago on a podcast to some white pastor friends of mine. I said, if race and the gospel is rarely discussed from the pulpit, you have racists in the pews. And a lot of my friends were like, no, that's not true. Uh, uh, (laughs) And then last June, they preached on George Floyd and thousands left churches. Hate mail. I have a lot of pastor friends now. Literally last week, I talked to a group of pastors and they're all white and they are so discouraged Mm -hmm. by how racism and nationalism has utterly destroyed their churches. And they, and, and they say, pastor, like, why is this happening? And a part of it is, I said, is because you were taught, don't talk about divisive mm-hmm. issues. And so you allowed that sin to grow into a monster. Mm-hmm. In, in, nine, in 1910, a black Presbyterian pastor named Grimke challenged the great evangelist Billy Sunday. Mm-hmm. who was white, and he came to Washington, D.C. to lead revivals. And Grimke wrote him an open letter and said this, after you preach your evangelistic crusades and many people, many white pe- people come to Jesus, will those churches still be as racist as before you were there? Wow. Whenever we exclude Jesus from toppling over the idols of power and systemic injustice and racism, we're teaching a reduced gospel. Mm-hmm. It is reductionistic. It is truncated and it will allow racism to fester. And so what we do here at Transformation Church, and when I go and preach and teach is we have to gospel people through these difficult issues. Okay. Ephesians yeah. 3, verses 6 and 7, the apostle uh, 5 through 7, the apostle Paul says, and the gospel I preach is that Gentiles are full members of God's household. So Paul was not just preaching, hey, Jesus died for your sins. Woohoo! No, dying for your sins was a basic way of saying, hey, the new exodus has started. You're not free from Pharaoh. You're free from something worse, sin, death, and evil. And now that you're free, let's begin this exodus to the new heavens, new earth as the family that God promised Abraham, this multi-ethnic family. So we have to preach and teach against the radical nature of progressivism that wants the kingdom without the king and the radical nature of conservatism that wants a truncated view of morality without grace and the fullness of the kingdom. And conservatism tends to want to ignore or whitewash the past. So we know we have to boldly attack those things and if people leave because because of that, you know, you know, you know what you do? You say, bye. <laughs> and then and then and then you say this. I hope you repent because God's judgment yeah. is not gonna be nice. Yeah. You know, it's I'm guilty of um of reductionism to some extent too, because I think I've been in small groups ministry now for um and as a vocation for almost 16 years. And I, I mean, I think 
we tend to say in small group land, and Kisal, I'd love your input on this, that you try to avoid the divisive topics because in that group setting, not everybody obviously is going to be the same point and not every leader is necessarily going to be equipped to have the conversation. And in a church that's mostly white like mine, mm-hmm. um, I'm almost a little bit afraid of how this conversation would go or be damaging to maybe the one person of color in the group that's not particularly um, able to speak up. I, so there's kind of, so on the safe side, I, up until, um, two years ago, I pretty much was like, you know, if you can't navigate through it well, just don't and then send it my way instead. But that doesn't empower the group to work through the mess of it. And then I've, and certainly what we've been through, um, you know, since the pandemic, all of that is my, I've completely shifted that to, mm-hmm. no, you need to, you need to figure out between you and the Holy Spirit, you guys need to figure out how to have these conversations. Not having them well, is no longer an option, absolutely. but it has created, um, I think, it, it, it um, makes it tougher to equip leaders because you're not just saying, just grab a friend, watch a video and have a small group. You're saying you actually have to. I love how you put it um, during, to, you know, gospel each other through it. Yeah. Um, so tell mm-hmm. me how that what that looks like um, in your groups. What? Christelle, go for yeah. it. Well, first of all, the majority, I'd say at least 99.9% of our groups are multi-ethnic and multi-generational. So we, I know that our church was very intentional about that from the beginning to say that if we're going to start small groups, we want our small groups to reflect our vision, which is to be multi-generational mission shaped, right? And so I think that has been helpful. First of all, the fact that we were very intentional about um, having our small groups be diverse, right? And I know that for us, like my husband and I get to lead a small group. It's been a year now that we've led this particular group. And from the beginning we have said, hey guys, this is a grace group. Like we are all about grace here. Sometimes we're going to say things that maybe another one of us don't understand, but let's believe the best about each other. Let's ask like clarifying questions. Let's, um, you know, let's just talk about things that are hard to talk about. And we have a group that, I mean, we have people who are Hispanic, like my husband and I, we have white people, black people, we have interracial couples. We have single people, married people. Um, we have one, a woman who was from Idaho. We have um, <laughs> a lady who was from St. Lucia. And, hmm. um, and we're all also on, the diff- on these different um, spectrums of our walk with Jesus. And some of us have been walking with Jesus for a long time. And some of us are still very new and skeptical about mm-hmm. the church and the Bible and all of that. And so what I love about that is that when you're in that kind of group, there's actually, there actually is a lot of grace and there is yeah, a lot of vulnerability yeah. and there is a lot of like trying to understand one person's perspective and that's different from your own. And I really love that about our group. I think when you have people going into a group, knowing from the beginning that you're all going to be different, you all have different mm-hmm. backgrounds, you all have different ways that you've grown up. Um, I think that helps to enter with a sense of humility and a sense of grace that we are going to hear each other out. We are going to walk through this together. We're not walking away from this. You know, if there's ever a problem or an issue, we're going to talk it out because this is like a little mini family within that, the larger family of our church. And so that, mm. that's what we try to tell all of our small groups as well. I mean, our small group leaders as well, that we have to lead with vulnerability. We have to lead with um, listening and not always talking. And so from the beginning, that's, that's what we're trying to instill in each of our groups. And I think that is what really makes a difference. 
Yeah. Teach that, Christelle. <laughs> Teach that. Teach that. <laughs> well, and it, it because your church reflects it, and I think you're absolutely right. Our small groups will be a microcosm of the whatever's going on in the church. So here in California, with all the masking mandates and how politicized <laughs> all of that stuff has been, um, that you know the same conversation that's happening in the lobby after service is the same one that's happening inside the the groups. I think the challenge for majority white churches, um, unlike Transformation Church, is that if you have majority white, then you're always, the minority is always going to stand out and be other. Yeah. Um, and to, in an effort to try to protect the other, I think, um, we could potentially err on the side of, you know, not, um, not talking about some of the harder stuff because of potential for injuring them. Um, Darren? Yeah. 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 So, you know, um, you made a comment that I think that oftentimes we as minorities will say, as we say things like, well, it's safe not to talk about those things, but it's not safe for the minorities. Mm -hmm. It is emotionally and spiritually injuring to us. And so, so often we have prized the safety of, of majority majority culture culture people at the expense of our own safety. And I think we need to take a step back and say to all of us, no, um, in the words of uh, Chronicles of Narnia, you know, Aslan, Aslam is not safe, but he's good. Yeah. And we have to be able to walk through these things. And what I'm finding is that there's a lot of idolatry. Yeah. That whether if it's national idolatry, whether if it's, well, I'm actually ashamed about what happened in the past. And it's like, well, no. What has happened in the past is not the fault of people who are alive today. Right. But the people who are alive today have inherited benefit and blessing, quote unquote, benefit from what happened in the past. Like even me as a black man, my home is on land that used to belong to the Catawba indigenous people of the Carolinas. So what does that mean? Does it mean I feel guilty or does it mean, hey, how can I look at raising awareness to the needs of Native Americans? Mm-hmm. Does, does, does that does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And so we just we just as minorities, a part of discipleship is all of us being free and majority culture being free from the shackles of the past that says, well, if I talk about America in a bad light, I'm talking about me. And it's like, no. Yeah. That's America where, didn't right. die from you. Jesus did. Right. Yeah, that's where the defensiveness, the fragility, and all the other conversations that happen in our culture um, come about. What is the balance then between like intentional and organic growth? Okay, referenced earlier, peop- um, white churches, predominantly white areas, would say we just don't have them here, and so you know we would incorporate and allow full participation, but we just don't have it here. <laughs> and then the question of, well, do you intentionally then? Um, do outreach to try to partner with other ethnic churches or do other things, or do you do representational stuff first and make sure you have some color on the platform, which there is a look, there is a church. I shouldn't say I, there is a church that is very intentional about representation and does that on the platform. And as a person of color, I honestly, like initially, I really liked it. And now it really bugs me because <laughs> I just, it feels so uh, product placement like for this time. And I don't see that in leadership, in their leadership in, at large. I don't see it in their small groups. And so it, 
now it just I feel like it's almost worse. I mean, do, do you get There's what I tokenism, mean? Tokenism, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. So, 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 let's take a step back. I, I think one of the misnomers is the suburbs don't have minorities there. Mm. So, I live in a suburb of Charlotte called Ballantyne. Ballantyne's a really nice area. I'm a former NFL player. We bought our home there in 1998. We've been there for a long time. And when people think of Ballantyne, they automatically think white. But the high school that my kids went to is like 58% white and everything else. There's a large Indian Asian community. There's African American. There's Latino. Um, there is there is East Asian mm-hmm. as well. And so the suburbs is not just where affluent white pe- pe- people are, because underneath that is well, minorities don't have money, so they're not in the suburbs. Mm-hmm. So our church uh, is in an area called Indian Land, South Carolina. Mm-hmm. So when we came here in 2010, there was nothing here. And people go, why did you go there? I said, we didn't have anywhere else to go. But little did we know out in Indian land, the elementary school served kids from 32 different nations. Wow. And now everything is growing towards us. And so ethnically, there's no excuse not to be multi-ethnic. But the problem is, most pastors are baptized in the homogeneous mm-hmm. unit principle, which says people who think alike, look alike, same socioeconomic class, it's easier to build a faster growing church. Whereas what I say is the great commandment and the great commission make disciples of everyone. So whatever my area looks like, that's who I'm trying to reach. Mm-hmm. And we need to be accommodating to the different ethnicities and cultures because it says this. You matter. So mm-hmm. when Joel Mutamale, who's who's an Asian Indian, get, gets up to speak, that matters to our Asian yes. community. When Christelle and her team translate in Spanish, that matters. When Pastor Paul or Pastor Curtis, who's white, when he gets when he gets up to speak, that matters. Our church is probably fifty eight percent white. Mm-hmm. Well, more than the twenty percent, <laughs> the twenty eighty principle. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay, um, I know we're running out of time. So maybe, now we've been kind of talking about the ways things are broken. And I love the language you've used. And this book is just full of um, that kind of beautiful language and a vision. I think really more than anything else, the book gives a vision for what um, that could look like um, instead of just having the Revelation 7 be a tagline into, you know, prayer or worship service, what it actually could look fleshed out um, in our context. So the final question is, okay, so what can we do if we lead a majority of our group talk listeners do lead in white environments? What are some of the first few steps we could take uh, first to becoming a place that welcomes and values use people of color. And then, Christelle, if you can talk to in terms of the small group piece mm-hmm. uh, in majority white cultures, what are some few things that that um, could, we could do to start? Yeah. So the so the first thing that I would say is spend time in prayer and fasting, mm-hmm. asking the Lord to give you his heart, yes. because we know that God loves all people. 
and that his family is a family of ethnic differences who are unified in Christ. Mm-hmm. Number two, uh, when you read the Bible, circle every time you see an ethnic group, Samaritan, Greek, Jew, yeah, Gentile. <laughs> oh, it's so much. Uh, one, 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 one time I had a cranky person say, stop teaching so much about race from the Bible. And I said, okay, well, there's no Canaanites, Hittites, Jebusites, <laughs> Perizzites. There's no Egyptians. There's no Hebrews. There's no Assyrians. There's no Babylonians. There's no Italians. <laughs> there's no Greeks. There's no every nation, tribe, and tongue at the end of the Bible. So we're left with no Bible. Mm-hmm. And they were just like, I think they left our church. <laughs> but <laughs> I think in, in the in, South, anyway, I've, I've heard that's called a blessed subtraction. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> Yes, it is. And, and and so and then what I would say do is, uh, you know, shameless plug here. I wrote this book for people to read this book, like get this book, buy it for five of your friends and get in a small group. There are questions after yes. every chapter, underline it, crying it, throw it against the wall for <laughs> things that make you mad and and really um, allow this to permeate your soul. Mm. And that's how traction takes place. And so um, the old saying is, God, start a revival and draw a circle around yourself and say, start with the person in this circle. But get in small groups and yeah. read yeah. this yeah. and pray and then watch what God does. Yeah. Say that the name of the book is Building a Multi-Ethnic Church. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and we'll, we'll have a link to that. In fact, um, at the end, we actually have a free giveaway that um, your publisher has uh, provided for us. But yeah, those are good ones. How about you, Crystal? I mean, I was gonna, the first thing I thought about was pray. Like mm-hmm. that is always number one. And I think when you pray, you're going to realize that God cares more about your small group ministry than you do. And yes. if, if, it's his heart to have a multi-ethnic church and multi-ethnic small groups, which it is, then he's going to make a way. So we have to pray and trust and believe that. Right. Um, and then I was going to say to look into curriculum written by people of color, you know, pastor yeah. Durham has small group curriculum. There are many other amazing teachers, um, Bible teachers who have small group curriculum, um, people of color that are incredible and wise and, and biblical yeah. and theological. And so look into you know, reading those books and going through those small group curriculum because it matters, right? It matters mm-hmm. to gain that different perspective. And I think even that small step is going to open up the eyes and the hearts of, of the people within your small groups. That's true. And and I think um, to read um, people that are different from you and to right. welcome that curriculum that's different, mm-hmm. not just on this topic, mm-hmm. um, but broader because that who you are, that comes through even when I'm sure, um, when, um, Dr. Gray talks about and preaches on the platform, not on race, his passion for how gospel is formed in our hearts that includes that peace is going to come through. It, I think it's just part of who we are and um, how God's formed us that's going to come through. So I, I love that section about curriculum and I'm looking over at my curriculum shelf and yeah, it's, it needs some, it needs some work. <laughs> you have to send me some Spanish stuff. We actually have a Spanish speaking um, congregation within our church. We also have a Chinese one. And well, um, so we, have all of our, we write our own small group curriculum. Yes. 
and we write everything in English and Spanish. So I can definitely send you. Oh, that's fantastic. I would, yeah, I'd love to see that. We do have, um, we write, I write the English version and then they translate it into the other two. And then we just assume it must be translated correctly. And it's probably even better than the English version. <laughs> we just don't know. We don't ever check it. So we're like, what is, what are his, what's, you know, he really saying? <laughs> um, but we're trusting God in that process. So thank you both so much. Uh, any final thoughts, uh, Darren or Casal? Anything else you'd like to say to Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, I just, I just want to say to the people that are listening that sometimes you hear all this stuff and you're like, oh man, that's just too much. Yes. Just, just <laughs> never forget God is incredibly patient mm-hmm. and it's not about how fast you go. Mm-hmm. It's about who God is forming you into as you go. Mm-hmm. And so don't try to rush. Don't be overwhelmed. God can do it and he wants to do it in you and he wants to do it through you. And uh, Christelle and I, your brothers and sisters way down here in (laughs) North Carolina, South Carolina, love you. And we count it an honor to be able to speak into your life. I agree a hundred (laughs) percent. Thank you so much for speaking into the lives of so many um, that are listening and actually around the world. We've really expanded our, our reach. And I feel like, you know, as Christianity shifts so much from Europe to North America and now into kind of much more global and more in the South. I mean, we have so much to learn mm-hmm. from our um brothers and sisters in other parts of the world. We just get so narrowed in on our little problems in, in America sometimes. And I think they figured out a lot of, a lot of this stuff already. So um, thank you for that. And the best way for people to reach you, I know Derwin, you are on a multiple social platforms because I follow you there. Um, and I have to say, there's a lot of football stuff. So if you're not a football person, you kind of have to wait about one every four posts or so to get something that was not football related. But I send this to my husband, so he enjoys them. Um, but just the, just the morning if you're not a sports fan it's worth hanging in with Derwin because he does have these nuggets but you have to wade through the football stuff right <laughs> um, but yeah you're on all the platforms um I think do you you also have a website I believe yes Derwin L Gray that's gray with a a Derwin L Gray dot com that'll take you to books that'll take you to Transformation yes. Church where you can watch sermons yes. and see what God is doing in us and through us yeah and then Crystal you too you also have a website Yes, I do. ChrisNellaCenedo.com. My husband made it, so it's fantastic and beautiful. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. Um, and I, and your uh, church website has a lot of resources on it as well, and I've been on that. Um, so I invite you guys to check it out and also get the book. Um, it's called Building a Multi-Ethnic Church with Dr. Derwin Gray. And there are full references, but not as many in this one. So, <laughs> so I'm going to have to teach you some football stuff because I'm working with Christelle. I'm trying to help her. So my oh. so my next mission is to help you. Oh, actually, are we? Uh, oh, it's so funny. We have so many working with a lot of um, men in the church world. I have had to adapt, and being with a, a sports fan, being married to one for twenty seven years, I've adapted. <laughs> so the other day, I caught myself telling my husband about a meeting, and I said, "Honey, I left it all in the field." And he was so proud. Yes. He was so proud. <laughs> and we talk yes. constantly in our church culture about blocking and tackling and about calling audibles. Oh, believe me, I am well entrenched in, in there you go. football you metaphors. I don't know what an audible is at all, but okay. <laughs> it, it, it's when the senior pastor changes his mind the last minute, but they want to like say that it was planned-ish. So then it becomes calling an audible. So that, that's in essence it. what that is. <laughs> you got it. You got it. So, you know, part of being... Um, person of 
two cultures means that we are very facile at adapting to other other cultures as well. And football culture is really its own thing. So it's been it, it is kind of fun to learn so I can understand my brothers better. And some of my sisters, my best friend is a huge football fan. So all part of Praise that too. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much for your time. What a joy this has been. And you know what? On a personal level, you you two have spoken to my heart today. And I mm-hmm. so thank you for that. So God bless you. God bless Transformation Church. And for our listeners who want to win a copy of Dr. Gray's new book, head over to smallgroupnetwork.com slash contest and you can sign up there. And once again, that's smallgroupnetwork.com. Um, come hashtag uh, not hashtag I'm sorry We've, we're brand new at this <laughs> smallgroupnetwork.com slash contest to enter this is our first giveaway actually we give coffee and other stuff first time we're giving away a book uh, from a publisher so and then you can join our Facebook group to learn additional ways to win if you have questions and you want to um, when this episode posts and you want to have conversations about this I would actually love to host a private um, Facebook group or even on our main group to talk about this further so the random drawing will be at the end of July and the winner is going to get notified by email and we'll celebrate that together. Um, and you can get this book anywhere books are sold. I got mine uh, from the publisher and also from Amazon. That's where I can buy the rest of them. <laughs> so thank you all for listening to Here to There. And until next time, remember, we are better together. Thank you for listening to Group Talk. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast through iTunes and get new episodes downloaded automatically. Also, if you enjoy this program, please take a few minutes to give us a positive rating on iTunes so that other small group point people can find us more easily. We encourage you to visit our website, smallgroupnetwork.com, to access our library of free resources, connect to a huddle with other small group ministry leaders in your area, read our blog articles, or join us on our Facebook group. Don't forget to use the hashtag SGNet when engaging with your social media channels. Thank you for your support.